that with Jesus all things are new. I'm so glad because if not for Jesus Christ, where would we be? Remember, remember what it was like before we met Jesus? Now, there should be a difference. It shouldn't be where, oh yeah, when, I'm, when I met Jesus, you know, nothing changed. It's the same, same old, same old. You know, sometimes we live that life, we're stuck in a routine, and you ask someone, hey, how are you doing? Ah, same old, same old. How's your marriage? Same old, same old. How's the jobs? You know, same thing, same thing. How's your family? Same one, same one. You know, it's, it's like, are you doing anything new? Is God doing anything new in your life? And He wants to. You know, we're so accustomed to falling into routines and ruts that we forget what it's like to have something new. I remember when we had uh, this one car. It wasn't a brand new car, but uh, it, was, it was in the kind of shape that you really don't care if you ate in it. You know, it was in that kind of condition that you can go through, drive through, and eat the meal in the car. And if a French fry dropped, didn't matter because something else would pick it up later and it would clean it up. So it's like you didn't really care about it. But then I remember we got another car. And it, was, it wasn't as, as new as the other one. So it was a little bit more, we call it here in Hawaii, bus up. So it turns into a surf car. You know, it's your beach car. Now, a beach car, you, it, it really doesn't matter what it looks like so long as it goes. So long as you can throw your boards inside and it can get you to the beach. And so we had this one beach car, sand all over the place. You have cans in the back, soda, cans in the back. And on the interior, you know, you got the springs coming out, the radio you got to hit for it to work. And so in, inside, it's, it's, it's not that great. But you really didn't care if it got dirty because it was your beach car. You would get into the car all soaking wet. Didn't matter. You tried your very best to keep it as clean as possible. But it really didn't matter. And then one day we got a brand new van. Now the brand new van came with new rules. What you used to do with the old car, you can no longer do with the new car. So now it's okay. New rules. No eating in the car. And the kids are like, what? What do you mean you can't eat in the car? Yep. If we go through drive through and we go to McDonald's, no eating in the car. You tried to go through McDonald's, get fries and close it and not eat it on the way home. Fries were designed to eat in the car. But now you have this new car, you can't eat it. So you have to suffer all the way home. And then as time goes on, you begin to compromise because maybe someone gets the car a little bit dirty. It's, oh, we got to clean that. Then as time goes by, the new becomes old. And then one day it's okay, we can eat in the car. Okay, but if you spill anything, you better catch it. If you spill any drink, it better fall on you. You better soak it up with your shirt. Don't get it on the upholstery. And so the new, after a while, becomes old again. It's kind of like our life. That even when we receive Jesus Christ, He makes all things new. But as time goes on and our relationship with Him continues on, for some reason, we start to compromise and that which was new now becomes old once again. We want to learn, how do we keep things new? How do we still keep our newness with God? How does He prepare us for the new? Because He wants to do that. Now, we are 
concluding our series that Christmas changes everything. And again, it's not about the holiday. It's about Jesus Christ and how Jesus changes everything. And so you can take out your notes and, and I want us to read this scripture together. And it's, it's John 12, 24. And this is what Jesus spoke of in, in talking about something becoming new and how we can prepare for the new. And it's John 12, 24. If you have your notes, you can read it. If not, it's up here on the screen. Okay, let's read it together. Ready? Go. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it produces much grain. You know what Jesus is saying? In order for you to live your new life, your old one must die. It must die. Otherwise, you will hinder the potential that God has for you. He says the old must go. You can't have both together. If it dies. Not, well, if it kind of lingers on. Or if you kind of have some old life in there. It's if it dies, then it will produce much fruit. Then you'll see the new It must fall, as he's talking about grain, it must fall and die. It must go into the ground, meaning that the proper environment that it's surrounded by will produce growth. That this grain now has the environment in which to grow. And God will do the same, but we must get rid of the old. Otherwise, the old environment is not going to help us to grow. It's this new environment. But here's what's interesting. In order for this grain to live... That surrounding that it has, that shell, when that dies, that actually becomes its first nutrient for the germ. So that as, it, as it's grabbing this nutrients, that it now can grow. But it comes to a point where as it's growing, it's, it's able to sustain its growth from the outside surroundings in the environment that it's in within the soil. That yes, that first outer shell produces the nutrients necessary, but now... As it, as it comes to a point of maturity, that it's now able to bring in the nutrients from the surrounding soil. When we first come to know Jesus Christ, His death produces enough nutrients for us to grow. His death on the cross. That's what it means when we receive Jesus, that we say, I, I believe that you died on the cross and that you rose again. That one event that Jesus did for us produces in us growth. It gives us a brand new life. And so now this new life, he says, I'm going to nourish you from the very beginning, but now I'm going to surround you with an environment in which you are to grow. But you can't grow with the new life if you're still hanging on to the old life. And so he wants to prepare us for the new life. But how do we, how do, we do that? How do we prepare for the new Or we're going to focus on three ways how we can prepare for the new. And there's many ways, but here's just three ways that we can prepare for the new. And if you're taking notes, the first thing is to learn from the old. We can learn from the old and look forward to the new. We can learn from the old ways, but but look forward to the new. Because there's many things that we learn along the way, but it doesn't mean we just toss them out. Not everything is bad. We can still learn from the old, but then look forward to the new. There's many things that we can learn from, even bad decisions that we've made. Even our finances, we can learn, okay, last year I was horrible at spending and budgeting. This year, I can do a whole lot better. So we learn from the old and then we look forward to the new. 
In our relationships, oh boy, we fight about everything. we got to learn from this. What can we do better? How do we do things different? So we look forward to the new, but we learn from the old ways. Maybe the way we speak to people or even our eating habits. I know many of us were saying, oh, come 2013, I'm not going to eat half as much as I eat now, which is a lot still. But nonetheless, you're saying, this is what I'm going to do new. See, we can, we can learn from the old and then look forward to the new. Here's how the book of Philippians puts it. And, and this is Paul the Apostle. Because if there's anybody who can, who can teach us about the old and the new, it would be Paul the Apostle. Because he met Jesus Christ face to face after Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected. Paul knew everything about the ways of God. But he still followed old traditions until he met Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ changed his entire life. And so now Paul writes this, knowing what takes place in a life that is changed by Christ. He says this in Philippians 3, verses 12 through 14. He says, I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or or that I have already uh, reached perfection. But here it is. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So here's what Paul is saying. First of all, he's admitting that we're never going to reach perfection. He's admitting that, wait a minute, I've, I've not reached perfection, but I've been perfected. He says, there's a moment when Jesus has perfected my life. It's the moment that I met him. We're not going to be perfect, but there's that moment that we're cleansed, we're washed clean, and we're forgiven. He says, at that very moment, you've been made perfect in his eyes. It's at that very moment. But then he says, you know, you're going you're to live a life and there's going to be some mistakes that are going to happen, some things that are going to be said to you, some, some, some turmoil that will happen in your life. And And even some regrets that you'll have. But you press on. You press on. Why? Because our perfection is is not in what we do. We're perfected in who He is. And so what Paul is reminding us is that there's a a connection with the perfect one. We're not going to reach perfection. But we know the perfect one. And he's saying you hang on tight to that moment. That moment where you were perfected. That's what you hang on to. Anytime you're, you're, you're going through a difficult season or a failure of some kind, a setback, he says, go back to that moment you were perfected in him. That that's what you hang on to. You focus on that moment. And you look forward to what lies ahead. That's what keeps us going forward. In other words, the newness that Christ brought to us, that newness that he brought when we first said yes to him, That perfect moment when I said, Jesus, I believe in you, that you died for me, and that you rose from the grave. That moment, he says, don't ever forget that. But you press on. Well, I remember when I first came to know the Lord, and many of us have. We we, we remember that the the day we said yes to Jesus, and and everything changed. Remember that? We said no to everything. I'm not going to do this anymore. Nope, that's not good. Nope, that's against God. Nope, God doesn't want me to do that. Nope, I'm changing everything. And it was so easy to cooperate with God. I'm going to get into His Word every day. I'm going to read the whole Bible in one day. 
And so we tried our very best. We got into the Word of God. We memorized scriptures. We came to church every day. We served. We did everything possible to connect with God. And then as time went on, the new became old. And then even serving was, oh, what time I got to get up? Oh, boy, not me again. And even the new that was there became old. And Paul is saying, don't forget the new. It's so easy to fall into the old. He says, remember that day when everything was fresh, that you cooperated with God. It was so easy. Why? Because you remember that you were forgiven and washed clean, and now you had a new life. And he says, don't ever forget that. Every single moment can be just like that, but you must be willing to learn from the old, but look forward to the new in what he's going to do. The second thing is this, to focus, and that's the word we want to look at, focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus more than our past mistakes or our past problems or our mistakes. Focus on Jesus more than our past problems or mistakes. I don't know about you, but I'm one who, when I make a mistake, oh boy, I beat myself up over and over. It's almost like when we make a mistake, we beat ourselves up because we feel like, boy, then if I, if I beat myself up, then, then it shows my repentive heart. And sometimes we feel that we have to stay in a depressive mode because other people are watching us. And, and if I make a mistake and I just move on, people are going to think you're inconsiderate or you have no heart. And so we throw a pity party. We throw the best pity parties. We invite everybody. We put invitations. We, we make streamers and everything. And then when everybody comes out, it's, look how sad I am. That's how we feel. We're so depressed that, oh, everybody, I'm depressed. Look at me. Why? Because I made a mistake. And everybody tries to console you. It's like, oh, it's okay. And it's okay for the very beginning because we want to encourage. But 10 years later, we shouldn't still be in that same depressive mode and that same state of mind. But that Jesus came to bring us a new life. That he says, yes, these things are going to happen. Yes, you're going to make mistakes, but learn from them. Move forward. Focus on Jesus more than your past problems or your past mistakes. I think if we focused on Jesus half as much as we focus on our past mistakes or problems, we'd have a much better life. Even just half of the time. But we keep bringing it up. We have such great memories for the things we've done wrong. That happens great in marriage. Husbands, we remember nothing. Our wives can remember everything. But it's there for a reason. It's not so that we can remember and point fault at each other. It's, it's not so that we can say, you did this, you did that. It's so that we can learn from it. So that we can focus on Jesus, and Jesus will help us through all the things we cannot do. No sense bring them up over and over. We're only going to relive the past. He says, I have a future that I want you to live. I want to prepare you for that future. But you have to let go of those past mistakes and those past hurts and those past problems. I cannot do anything new if you're hanging on to the old. Hebrews 12.2, it tells us to fix our eyes on... Jesus, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And here, here's what we want to learn. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. You know why he could press on? Why he could endure? Because of the joy that he looked forward to. The joy that was afterwards. 
He knew that, yes, there was going to be a death, but there would also be a resurrection. Yes, there was going to be a death, but then the resurrection would come, and then God would be glorified, and we would be able to have a relationship with the Almighty God. He looked forward to the new things so he could endure the cross. And sometimes we feel, well, I, you know, I've done shameful things. I've done things that you know, nobody will understand, and, and they're going to put me down, or, or they're going to categorize me, and so I've done shameful things. Jesus took the shame for us. That's why he died on the cross. He died in shame. He stayed on the cross in shame for you and I. He took our shame. And so he says, I took your shame so that I can give you a new life. This is what I've learned. And if you, if you catch anything today, catch this. Mistakes don't make us feel bad. People do. That's why we have a hard time moving forward because of all the different voices that come in, including our own. We make ourselves feel bad. But we learn from them, we move forward, we fix our eyes on Jesus Christ. We turn away from anything else that's going to distract us and we fix them on Jesus Christ. He's the author, which means that He went before us. He's the example. He's the one that shows us the way. And He's the one that's going to help us through. See, if... If you focus on the problems or mistakes, guess what happens? You make more problems and more mistakes. Because what you focus on, that's what happens. It's like a hunter. If you're hunting and, you're ha- and you have the animal or, or whatever you're, you're aiming at, the target in your sight, you don't aim, focus, and then when you see a bird, you go, hey, look, a bird. You aim, and no matter what distractions are taking place, no matter what's happening, you keep your eyes focused on the target. And that's what Jesus is saying. You fix your eyes on me because you're going to have plenty of distractions. You're going to have all kinds of things bombard you your whole day. People will come by you. They'll, they'll pull at you. But you stay focused on me. And you fix your eyes on me because the distractions will come in. We're playing uh, with these little games and with the, with the kids and... Uh, and, and so we're playing, and, and Heidi wanted to get my attention, you know, just play. But she had this, uh, like this bouncy ball, and it was kind of dense. It was pretty heavy. And so I'm playing, and all of a sudden, I feel it on the back of my head. And I'm like, oh, what is that? And I turn around, and she goes, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I, was, I, I didn't mean to hit you in your head, but I was looking at your head. And I, and I said, what? She goes, I just wanted to get your attention, but I'm so sorry. I was looking at the back of your head, and I guess I hit it. And I thought, what you focus on, you will hit. Unless you meant it. I don't know if that was just the excuse. I don't know. <laughs> but it's true. And the Bible says it this way in Proverbs 23, verse 7. And let's read this together. Ready? Go. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Did you notice that as you're thinking about something and you're, 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 you're thinking it through, you become that for instance, let's just say your husband or your wife is coming home late. Let's just say they had a flat tire or, you know, something happened along the way home, traffic, whatever it would be. But you're at home, you're like, they're supposed to be home already. They're supposed to be home. I know what they're doing. I know what they're doing with their friends. You know what they're friends. I know what they did. They didn't go stop by. They didn't go eat. They didn't go eat dinner without me. And so you're, you're doing all of these things. You're, you're thinking these things through. And so by the time your spouse comes home, where you was? Where you was? Or if your wife comes home, oh, honey, oh, kind of late there. Eh? No, I had to do this. Like, no matter what they say, you still are in a bad mood. No matter, even if it was the best excuse, 
Like, oh, honey, I had to help this old lady. You know, she was on the side of the road. And she, I don't care who you was helping. You're supposed to be home. And but I tried. I tried. You know, an accident. I don't care if I had an accident. You walk home, park the car. And so it's like whatever's in your heart, it's, it's going to happen. Your emotions are going to be there. Why? Because you're thinking about that. And the Bible is saying, don't think about those things. Set your heart on Jesus Christ. Fix your eyes on him. Because he's the, he's the spirit we want to become. He's the person we want to be like. He's the example that we want to follow. You see, what you focus on, you begin to emulate. You become just like. Have you ever seen someone who loves art? That they, when, when they, they have a passion for something, they invest their time and energies into it, or even their finances. And if, you're, if you love painting or things like that, you'll buy paints and canvases or whatever. And or if you're a photographer, you invest in photography, and it's endless. And then you get these magazines that come in, and, and they have all these different gear. Uh, you know, you have backpacks for your camera. You have lenses for your camera. You have a camera for your lens for the camera you had for the other lens that you used to own. And so it's endless. Why? Because you have a passion for something, and you invest everything that you can into it because you love it. If you're a musician, and you love, let's just say you love guitar, and you love playing guitar, you don't just have one. Because when you're playing that one, you think, oh, it sounds so great. But then you go to the music store, it's like, oh, heaven. And then you try another guitar. Oh, this one is sweet. Let's listen, honey, listen. How's that? The bugger sing, eh? Woo-hoo. How much? Four grand. Eh, we can sell, we can sell one car. And so you, 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 you're passionate about something, so you think of how you can get it. And when you're passionate about something, you invest all you can into it. And you find ways of getting it. I would say this. Be passionate about Jesus Christ. Be passionate about Him. Because then you'll figure out ways how I can build my relationship with Him. How can I stay focused on Him? Not focused on my problems. Okay, what 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 if I do focus on Jesus, but... But my problems and mistakes are just so burdensome. Well, you give them to Him. Okay, but what if I've done that? I've given them over to Jesus, but, but people keep reminding me about my past. What if people keep reminding me of how horrible I am? What do I do then? Well, here's the last thing. You can write this in. Let the Lord pour a new spirit within me. Let the Lord do that. He can do that. He can bypass anybody. He can bypass any, whatever anybody else says. He can bypass all of that, and He can go directly into our hearts. That's what Jesus does very well. If you read His life, Jesus always looked past the person's exterior and their surroundings and could see straight into their heart. And that's what He still does. He can bypass all of that and go right to our heart. He can pour a new spirit within us, but we must let Him do so. We can't let what others are saying enter this heart. We let what Jesus wants to do enter our heart. That He wants to do something brand new. You let Him do it. We got to let Him do it. If not, our day can start off so well. You know, we'll get up in the morning. Oh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for a new day. Thank you for the sunrise. Oh, such a brand new day. Maybe you you read the Bible or a scripture or you do your devotions. Oh, such a brand new day. I love it. I love it. I love it. Then you pull out of your your home and, Hey, what you doing? Get off the road. 
what's the matter with you? Watch where you're going. Here, whatever it was. And then you get mad too. And it's like you want to tell them they're number one, but you just met with the Lord. And so you feel like, well, what happened to my day? It was so beautiful. It was such a great day. Well, it's a spirit that is going to try to invade the new spirit that God is trying to pour into us. We're, we're, we're always going to be around these other negative spirits that try to come into our hearts. And the Bible says, guard your heart because it's going to try and make its way in. But we let Him pour a new spirit within us. And we let Him do that. We can't do that on our own. You see, our past and our mistakes were a one-time event. But the ongoing remembrance and heartache of that one-time event has to do with our spirit and our heart. And we keep it locked up in there. We keep re- rewinding the tape and, and viewing it over and over. And, and God is saying, I want to pour in you, Spirit. You're done with that. It was a one-time event. Yes, you learned from it, but I want to do a new thing in you. See, when, when Jesus came into this world, He wanted to bring a new spirit because everyone was stuck on old traditions. Yes, they kept the law of God, but they forgot about the heart of God. And so when Jesus came, he said, you guys are doing it all wrong. You, yeah, you, you, you know the ways of God, but, but you don't have the heart behind it. And he called the religious leaders Pharisees. You remember that? He said, you guys are Pharisees. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're clean on the outside. Yeah, you, you present yourself well on the outside, but inside you're corrupt. You're full of dead men's bones. It's like the outside, it's great. You do the prayers, you do all these things, but inside you're corrupt. And you do the things that are, are not pleasing to God. And so he addressed the Pharisees. And he told them, you, you, you have to do things different. He's saying, your ways are not fit for this new spirit that God wants to bring in. And so this is the illustration that he gave to the Pharisees. It's in Matthew 9, verse 16 and 17. And he says this, he says, No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment and the tear is made worse. And let's pause here for a moment. What he was saying is the new cloth, if attached to the old one, once it becomes wet, the new cloth will contract and it'll pull at the old because it's a brand new cloth. So it'll pull and it'll tear and the tear will be worse than the original. And so he's giving this illustration to them. And what he's saying is, this this new life that I want to give to you will not fit the old way. The new life, if given to you, and when given to you, if you hang on to the old, you'll be worse off. Isn't it true that there's more grace to someone who does so-called sinful things that don't know God than it is for someone who does know God? I remember before I came to know Jesus Christ... My Christian brothers and sisters and people in the church, oh, they, were, they have so much grace for me. So much grace because I didn't know God yet. But then when I came to know Jesus Christ, I couldn't still do the old things. And when I did, my brothers and sisters who loved me enough would say to me, you know, hey, that's not you anymore. I'd be, yeah, right, i got to change that. i got to change, i got to change. Otherwise, it's worse. It's different when we say we believe in Jesus Christ, but don't live it. It's a whole lot worse. Well, then, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to believe in Jesus Christ. 
that is worse than being worse of being the worst, worst of believing in Jesus Christ and doing worse. So I just say, stay with Christ. You're safe. You're good. And let Him renew the Spirit. Let Him do something new. So let's continue in that scripture. It says, Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break. The wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But they put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. The bottles in in the eastern nations, yes, they had glass bottles, but because they would put it on the camels and they would travel far, they would actually put it in, in uh, animal skins. So that's where they would pour their drinks in, their water and their wine. And so then they would cap it and put it on their camels, and so they would go long distances. But over time, the wine skin would deteriorate and it would become brittle. And if they put new wine into this old wineskin, the fermentation of the new wine would actually burst the old wineskin. And so they understood that, and that's why Jesus used this illustration, because he's saying, the new wine that God wants to pour into your life, it's, it's, it's going to be so new, and new things will happen, that your old life cannot contain it. If you hang on to your old life... Even though he pours in the new, you're not going to be able to contain it, and both will burst. Your, the wineskin will burst, and so will the wine. The wine will be spilt. So even if God wanted to do something new inside of us, if we're not ready for it and prepared for him to pour new wine, and we have old wineskins, we have old hearts, old attitudes, old character, then even the new he's pouring in will one day burst, and it'll be spilt. Here's the principle. And this is what he's saying. He's saying new things should be put together and made to match the new things. That's the only way it'll fit. New things must be made to put together with new things. It must match. New must match new. Otherwise, it'll be spilt. And even the new that God wants to pour will not happen because will just burst. We're not going to be able to contain it. See, God is the only one who can accomplish such perfection of matching new things, a new spirit into our new life. Here's how Ezekiel puts it. He says this in Ezekiel 18.31. He says, Rid yourselves of all the offenses you have committed and get a new heart and a new spirit. Well, what do you mean get? How do we get it? How do we just go get a new heart and a new spirit? Well, if you're at home and you're baking something and you run out of sugar, usually they'll say, can someone go to the store and go get sugar? You go to a place where there's sugar. Not going gas station. You're going to the store that has sugar. If you're running out of gas and someone says, we need to go put gas. You're not going to a place that doesn't sell gas. You're going to the place where there is and same is true when the Bible says to go get a new heart, go get a new spirit. That tells me that there's a place that we can go. And here's where it is. And we're going to read this scripture together, okay? Psalm 51.10. Ready? Go. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me, within me. So where do we get this new spirit? From God. Where do we get this new spirit? Yeah. We don't just make it up. 
We don't just wake up one morning and say, New Spirit, come upon me. I want to be brand new today. No, we say to God, God, give me a brand new spirit. It's not a magical thing. It's a relational thing. See, God is never ending. He's ever present. He's always giving. You ask him for a new heart and a new spirit, he'll give it to you. And you can ask for it daily, moment by moment. Something takes place, Lord, give me a new spirit, give me a new heart. Clean me out. Create in me a new spirit. Create in me a clean heart. And he'll do that. But we got to ask him for it. I say this year, let him do that. Let the Lord prepare new in us. Whatever we're going to do, let him, let him do what he does best. And he makes all things new. Learn from the past. Learn from the old. Learn from our mistakes. But focus on Jesus and look forward to the new. Let him do a brand new thing. Let him pour a brand new spirit in us. And I'd say bring on 2013. We finish strong, but we start strong. I want to read this story as we conclude. You can put away your notes. After I read this and, and we close in prayer, some of you know this, but this is our Mission Sunday. And, and every Mission Sunday that we have, uh, we receive a special offering for our missionaries around the world in our four-square denomination. Uh, and, and if God speaks to you to give, then do so. Some of you already support, and so you know that we give at this time. Uh, but don't feel pressured, okay? Just if God speaks to you, go for it. If not, then uh, you let Him uh, do what He does best. I want to close with this story. I love how it helps us to remember the old and the new. One summer, little Jimmy was about five years old. He stayed with his Aunt Jenny. And every morning, she made him pancakes, which was horrible. It wasn't the best. It had little flavor. wasn't that fluffy. And it was just a little chewy. Well, how are the pancakes, asked Aunt Jenny. Oh, I love it. They're the best. Well, he didn't want to hurt her feelings, so that's how he responded. Well, summer was coming to an end, and so Aunt Jenny brought Jimmy back home and planned on staying for a couple of days. Early in the morning, Jimmy's mother woke him up and, and told him to wash up for breakfast. Jimmy's grandmother, who he referred to as Gamma, also stayed for a few days. Good morning, Gamma. Good morning, Jimmy. It's so good to see you. Hey, have you ever tried Grandma's wonderful waffles? No, I haven't. Well, have a seat and you'll have some in no time. Well, Jimmy took one bite and he was in heaven. Gamma, these are the best. Well, thank you, Jimmy. Glad you like them. Well, they spent the entire day together playing, eating dinner, and enjoying the sunset on the front porch. Early the next morning, Jimmy's mother woke him up like usual and had him wash up for breakfast. Oh, by the way, Jimmy, Aunt Jenny is wanting to make her famous pancakes for you. No, I don't want that. Or you can have Grandma's waffles. Quickly, Jimmy answered, I'll take Grandma's waffles. I'll take her waffles. But Aunt Jenny said that you love her pancakes. She said you, you love them. She made them for you every day. And Jimmy said, you know, Mom, I did. I loved her pancakes as best as I could eat them. But now that I tried Gamma's waffles, I'd rather have 
curse. Now you have an old life. You have a new life in Christ. We know what the old life is like. It's a little dry, a little chewy, no flavor. But Jesus, Jesus gives us waffles. He shows us a brand new life. And if you have ever tasted how good the life that we can have with Jesus Christ, you wouldn't want the old. You will always want the new. And we're going to pray for that this morning. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, we know what it's like to live a life without you, and we know what it's like to have a life with you. Lord, as believers, as Christians, as people who follow you, sometimes we forget about that. We go into our old ways, our old habits, or, or even a spirit of complaining comes up, a, a spirit of discontentment, or even a spirit of entitlement. We, we, we think we deserve, but Lord, we don't deserve a single thing. You gave us your grace. May we never forget about that. And if you're here this morning, you're a Christian, and you're saying, you know, I want, I want this new spirit to be poured into my life. I'm preparing for the new. I know what it's like to walk with Jesus Christ, and, and maybe I've, I've forgotten how good it is to walk with Jesus Christ that I want to make a commitment today to say that I want this new spirit. And if that's you this morning, would you lift a hand? And in doing so, you're saying, I want this new spirit, Lord. Fill me afresh. Lord, you know our hands, that we're just saying what we feel on the inside. So, Lord, I pray for every single person that you would pour into them new wine, into new wineskin, a new heart, a new spirit, that you'll do new things. You can put your hands down. Some of you might be saying, you know, I, I want this new life, but I don't know how to have this new life. I know that there's a God, but I, I don't know how to connect with Him. Well, the Bible says, if you ask, you shall receive. That if you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you shall be saved. And it's being saved from this old life, these old ways. And if you've never received Jesus, I want to say a prayer. And if you want to receive Him... You just say this prayer. And in fact, we can all say this prayer together as we renew our hearts with Him. And I'll say the words, but you include your heart. And especially for those that are saying yes to Jesus for the very first time, here's the prayer. Heavenly Father, thank You for Jesus. Thank You, Jesus, for dying on the cross, rising from the grave. I believe in You. And I give You my heart in exchange for yours, pour within me a brand new spirit in Jesus' name. And if you just said that prayer for the very first time, I would love to pray over you. Would you just lift a hand and, and in doing so, you're saying, I just said that prayer for the first time. Good. Anybody else? Good. Back there, God sees your hand. God bless you right there. Good. Anybody else? You said yes to Jesus. Good. God sees your hand right there. God sees you. Bless you. God sees your hand and your heart right there, back there, right here. God sees you. He knows your heart. Receive his new spirit right here. God sees you. You can put your hands down. Lord, our prayer 
is simple. Prepare us for the new. Pour a new spirit within us. We'll we'll look forward to the great things that you're going to do because we know that you hold the future in your hands. And so we trust in you. In Jesus' name we pray. We all said, Amen.